<laughs> so let's dive right into our first question of the day. It is, what do you do when the trust and respect is lost between each other? Lynn, if you would tackle that, what do you do hmm. when trust and respect is lost in a marriage? I, I think really you, you have to divide those up because there is a difference between trust and respect. So trust always has to be earned. Matter of fact, if you give somebody trust who hasn't earned that trust, then you're just naive and you're silly. And nobody should be demanding trust that they haven't been willing to invest in. So when someone says, hey, I know I did that and I repeated that mistake 20 times, but now you don't trust me, it's an illegitimate argument because the reality is that trust is always earned. Uh, trust given without being earned is just simply dumb. Uh, but respect is a little bit different because uh, you sometimes have positional respect that's owed to somebody that has nothing to do with the fact that it's been earned. An example of that would be like your father or your mother. And the reality is they may not be a great mother or a great father, but they hold the position of mother or father. The same thing would be like a judge. You may look at a judge and say, boy, they've got a horrible home life and they're not necessarily the greatest person. It doesn't matter. They're the judge. And there's a positional respect that they get simply because of that position they hold. And yet, there's also a reality that there can be additional respect that they get because now they've earned that beyond the position. So I guess my first pushback would be to say, hey, um, if you're in a situation where you're having to follow a husband or uh, maybe it's a wife who has uh, done some things and now trust has been lost, it doesn't change the fact that you need to offer them respect. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, if you're a husband and maybe uh, your wife is doing something or, or responding to the kids in a way that you go, man, that's just a horrible... I mean, you're inciting those kids to talk back to you. It doesn't change the fact that, that she's still their mother. And your job as a husband is to step in and say to the kids, even though she may be in the wrong in the moment, hey, wait a minute, that's your mother. You will not talk to her that way. And what you're reinforcing in that moment is positional respect. Okay? Even though she was wrong, she was at fault, you're reinforcing positional uh, respect. But the second side of this is, is that you probably then want to have a conversation in the bedroom or somewhere else to say, hey, honey, wait a minute. You realize that when you snip at our daughter, when you uh, are sarcastic in your response, all you're doing is inciting her to be disrespectful. And the reality is, I'm just going to challenge you not to get into that type of banter with her, not to go there with her, because you only lower the respect quotient. Does that make sense? So there, there's this balance, and you've got to have some clarity. The other part that I would say is, is if that somebody has lost trust, and guys, this happens all the time. Uh, maybe he went on the internet and talked to somebody that he shouldn't have talked to. Maybe you caught him looking at some porn. Maybe she got into a relationship and began to have an emotional affair. Nothing happened physically, but there was an emotional affair. And so now trust has been lost. One of the things you've got to talk about is to say, how, how can I earn trust back? 
What do I have to do that if I did those things, you would begin to see me as trustworthy? And I think one of the mistakes that we make a lot of times, ladies, is this, is that, is that you expect him to know what to do when he loses your trust. You want him to read your mind because if he really, really loved you, he would know what he's supposed to do. And I heard someone say the other day, they said, you know, when they took that rib out of Adam, it was his mind-reading rib that they took out. He, he has no idea, ladies, how to read your mind. And, and you set him up for failure when you ask him to do that. And one of the most powerful things you can do for a man, especially if he has any heart toward re-earning trust, is that you need to ask yourself a question that says, what is it that he could do that would cause me to know he was serious? What, what behavior, what thing could he change that if I saw him behaving that way, I would get that he was serious? And then you need to say that out loud so that he knows. You got it, ladies, men are dumb. And we have to hear it straight up. Yeah. Lisa, you want to add anything to that? Sure, I'd love to. You mean you can't read my mind, I can't read your mind? Mm, Sometimes. Yeah. You know, I, I guess the thing I would add to that is that I think it's important that we do not keep strikes against them Hmm. because that's really going to wear on the respect and uh, because they're not perfect they're not always going to be be able to read our mind they're not always going to make the right decision and it's really important that we don't keep the strikes going because that's going to uh, diminish that yeah staying on the same topic of trust respect lisa is there ever a moment, we have a question that, is there a moment where you keep a secret or hide something for your spouse? One example of that is blocking them from your social media activities. I just, I don't think, I, part of being in a relationship is intimacy. And that is saying that he's going to know every single thing about me and I'm going to know every single thing about him. Because if you don't share those things, the only other person that knows that is God, then you're not really intimate in that relationship. And that's part of becoming one. And it's very, very important that you do not keep secrets. We don't have secrets from one another. We're one together. And I think that's how God intended this relationship to be. And as far as the social media thing, I think it's crazy to go on and air differences or to try to block each other. He should have all my passwords. I shouldn't be hiding anything from him and vice versa. Yeah, and just, I mean, just, it's not like there's a snooping relationship. In other words, I don't go on her Facebook and try, you know, go research stuff on her. And she doesn't do that with me. But the reality is uh, she's got my passcode to every single thing. She's got my code. There's no place that I go that she can't just as easily go. And it's not uncommon for her necessarily to pick up and, and just even use my Facebook to Facebook stuff out. And so you think it was from me and it was really from her. But I, you know, she, she, you know, she does that. So I, I think this idea that says if, if I'm really in relationship with you, then why would I have something that was hidden from you? The only reason you would do that is if there was something that was hurtful. And then my next question is why would I be doing anything hurtful? to my relationship, right? So this idea of just open hands that just says, hey, you can look anytime you want to look uh, because you'll never find anything that diminishes or demeans you as my spouse. Yeah, he 
he can hold me accountable, I can hold him accountable, and that makes for a stronger relationship because we've opened that up to allow for that to happen. Mm-hmm. That all goes back to the trust and respect, yeah. finding that, Absolutely. creating that. That's great. One other topic in regards to trust and different bank accounts. So we're going to get on the uh, topic of money and where this couple, they pitch in to pay their monthly expenses and they're really blessed financially. However, once in a while, funds can run short, which we can all relate to, or they go higher than usual. And this, uh, this specific spouse doesn't know how to bring up the subject of finances with her husband without him feeling like he doesn't make enough money, where he doesn't feel attacked and it becomes a fight. Every time money becomes a fight. How do you guys uh, speak to that? Well, I, I think back to being one, I think that I believe that the bank account should be ours. I mean, we have many different bank accounts, but we have a general account that is our account that we pay bills from. And different seasons of our life, when we've had more money or less money, we've handled this a little differently, but it's always been both paychecks going into one account. And then from there, we make a decision on what play money allowance we give each other because I want my pedicures and manicures and all that fun stuff. So, you know, I I think it's important, but we come to that agreement together. But as far as just a general account, it's our account. It's not his or hers. So Mm -hmm. then every single month we make a decision of how that's spent. Hmm. So I'm I'm just going to say this out loud. This isn't necessarily biblical it's maybe just life experience but i i do think you know part of part of a husband and a wife being one is being one and so i would encourage any couple to say i i just don't think you want separate accounts because guys at the end of the day here's i'm just gonna say out loud one of the most personal things that we have is money you don't believe that then explain to me why 90 percent of the church doesn't tithe because it's the last thing we surrender to God. It's a very, very deeply personal thing. And if you're not surrendering that to your spouse, if you've got a husband and a spouse and a wife, and he's holding his money and she's holding her money, and then we're just combining to pay bills, and then this this stays retained as hers, and this stays retained as his, then the truth is, guys, you're, you're just glorified roommates at that moment. I, I'm having a hard time figuring out where one is if you, if you can't even bring your money together corporately on the deal. So what my suggestion uh, is simply this, that whatever income either spouse is making goes into a corporate pot. This is our money in the corporate pot. And the reality, I can relate a little bit to this thing where he's, you know, she's saying, hey, I make more money than my husband, and that feels weird. For the first probably... 20 years of our marriage, Lisa made more money than me. You got to remember, I was in ministry. That was not hard for her to do. And uh, uh, and I was a youth pastor for 17 of those years. And literally, she made more money than me every year for the first 20 something years of our marriage. So, but yeah, and uh, now you know why I married her. But uh, always this pot was corporate. This was our money. And then what we did was, is we sat down corporately and said, how much are we going to spend on house? How many car payments are we going to have one car payment? We're going to have none car payments. We're going to have two, you know, all those decisions were corporate decisions that we made uh, together about how this money was going to be spent, you know, how much was going to be saved over here. 
But then we give allowance. So in other words, uh, you know, I say to Lisa, hey, here's the deal. Here's a, you know, this is a gas allowance, and this is just kind of your pedicure and makeup and hair allowance. And, and you know, here's your uh, go have fun type of allowance, and that, that's the allowance she gets. And then I've got the same thing. And actually, right now, Lisa's allowance is bigger than mine because she has more hair than I do. So uh, she's got that. But here's the, here's the fun part about this. And we, we added some mad money in there. In other words, we said, look, here's, you know, you're in the store and you just see something that you want. You know, you've got some mad money. You, you can spend that without ever asking because it's your mad money. And if during the month, if you've been, you know, really cautious about what you've spent and you just happen to end up with a lot of money, then that's your money. You get to do whatever you want to do with that money. You just can't come back here without us having a discussion. When you go to the general pot, then we have to talk about that. So I'll go online all the time and buy buy something on eBay or something I want because it's my mad money, and I have that discretion. She just bought something for her hair the other day, and I have no idea what it does, but I'm pretty sure it came out of the mad money, right? Of course. Yeah, so. so. She looks great. Yeah, there you go. Whatever it is, it's working, right? Okay. So... But, but again, guys, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna toss out there and, you know, this took us years. We, I, if you asked us what the number one place in which we've had friction in our marriage, it would be finances, I think, over the years. And it took us years to figure this out. And it's been a huge, huge help to us, uh, to say, no, the money is all one. There, there, no one's gonna make independent decisions about the combined money. But then we're gonna give each other allowances that you can just, you can do that however you wanna do. As long as you put gas in your car, we're okay. Yeah, it's been super helpful. That's great. This is uh, one of my awkward questions that I get to ask both of you. Hmm. Here we go. Okay. What does a healthy sex life look like? Twice a day. Think way back when. (laughs) (laughs) You can look way back when. Go back. Got to remember back to when we had a sex life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll remember that. Yeah, about that thing. Do you want to take that one? (laughs) Well, that concludes our session for today. (laughs) Uh, For the record, I was the one who brought home the stack of his business time cards last week. So. (laughs) Yeah, I got to live up to the stack now. Guys, I, you know, it's it's interesting to me because be, people have different expectations about this and and different amount. You know, I, I'll counsel with couples, and you got couples that have sex once a week, and they're perfectly satisfied with that. You've got ca- couples that have sex every day, and one or the partners once more. I, you know, I don't know that there's a line for this. Here's what I will say to you: is is that uh, somewhere you've got to figure this out as a couple, and chances are, if you're miles and miles apart on this issue then I think the Christ-honoring thing is is that you've got to be able to come to a place that makes sense in the issue. And that means that, uh, let's say, for instance, it's the husband who wants sex a lot more, then in Christ-likeness, he's going to have to say, hey, I get it. I get that this doesn't have the same appeal for her or the same drive going on in her life. Now, the interesting thing is, usually when women are young, it's, it's a little bit lower. When they get a little bit older, all of a sudden it goes high. Men are just the opposite. When they're young, it's really high. They get older and she's wearing them out. But, you know, it, it has... There, there's, uh, not yet, not yet. Just saying that out loud. 
Not yet. I'm working on the stack. Um, but, you know, part of this has the opportunity to be Christ-like where he's saying, hey, I get this, and I get that I'm, I'm going to come to a place that maybe isn't, you know, my first wish. But I think it also then is her coming to a place that says, I get that this is a need in my husband's life. And I think there's a potential that you actually kind of put a number out there. And not a number so that it becomes scheduled, because I get that you want it to be spontaneous. But I'm, I'm telling you that, that sometimes just saying, hey, you know, we're going to agree. It's going to be four times a week uh, or whatever that number is going to be. It all of a sudden gives you something to kind of shoot for. It gives him the way of saying, hey, wait a minute. We've already done it three times this week. And so we're probably in pretty good shape so far. And it gives her a place to say, hey, wait a minute. We've only done it once this week. I guarantee you my husband's hoping for more. And it, and it gives you at least some sense of a margin here that takes you there. And then, guys, I'm just going to say this to the guys real quick. I think one of the most critical mistakes we make is that we're selfish in our lovemaking. It's so much easier for us just to go in, get what we want, and move on. And because she's slower and because that usually takes more time, uh, sometimes we're not patient enough with that. Uh, I will tell you, and maybe I'm saying too much, um, I will tell you that early on in my marriage, I made the commitment that said, I'm going to make sure that she has a great time every time because I wanted her to want to come back to the marriage bed. I wanted that to be as thrilling for her as it was for me. And I, I would just say to you guys, I think that's paying off big time for me uh, in, in my life because Next. It, it doesn't become... Drop the mic. Okay. All right. It's paying off. Okay, just saying. It's paying off. All right. Lisa. Okay. Wow. Um <laughs> <laughs> I would say that there's different seasons also where the tension or the stress going on. And so I think it's, it's great to honor each other during those times as well. Because if he's going through a really stressful time, I know that changes things. It's either more or less or however. But um, I think we try to very much show respect and honor each other during those times as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks, guys. It's super helpful. So we have this one in from our Santan multi-site campus, and it's asking, what can we do as husbands, as fathers, to be the spiritual leaders of our family, the, the leaders that our wives crave, the leaders that we know our kids want us to be? How do we do that? I love that we're asking that question today just because and that was hopefully one of the challenges that we were going to do, and it's today's challenge, which is just to encourage the men to take spiritual leadership uh, in their home. So, guys, I, here's what I think about this. I think a lot of times that men, we hesitate to take spiritual leadership in our home because it feels like this weird ethereal thing. I mean, what, what is it? And do you have to be a theologian? And do you have to pray with your kids every night? And do you have to lead the whole family in a Bible study? And, and because it just seems so broad and, and we're unable to get our arms around it, I think a lot of times, men, we just don't do it because we're not even sure how to keep score on taking spiritual leadership. And yet the reality is, I think this is way, way simpler than we make it out to be. And so let, let me just kind of put that out there, for, guys. Here, here's what spiritual leadership would be. If you would simply ask this one question, and that is, what does it mean for my home to be more Christ-centered than the home I grew up in? If you would simply ask that question and then answer it for your home, you realize you'd be taking spiritual leadership. 
What does it mean for my home to be more Christ-centered than the home I grew up in? Answer that, and you'll be a spiritual leader. And I've got three real quick things that I think any guy in the room, I don't care where you are spiritually, uh, that if you did just these three very simple steps, you would position yourself as the spiritual leader of your home. Your wife would be thrilled out of her mind if you would simply do that. So here's what they would be. Number one, uh, church. If every guy in this room would just simply say, hey, here's the deal. The Smiths go to church every Sunday. Uh, We don't wake up on Sunday and figure out how we're feeling. We don't decide what's on TV. We don't decide how many chores there are still to do. The Smith family goes to church every Sunday. And as the spiritual leader of our home, that's the decision I've made for the Smith family. Do you realize that one singular decision would position you as the spiritual leader of your home? Just deciding that today would put you in that place for your family. And then uh, the second thing I would encourage you to do is become two-hour Christians. And here's what I mean by that. That you would say, hey, you know what? The Smith family isn't a Sunday morning only followers of Jesus. That's not what we do. And so we're going to be committed to more than that. We're going to seek God more than that. Which means you're going to take a second hour. And that may mean that you go, that uh, if you've got young kids, uh, you realize we've got a thing over there on Tuesday nights called Kaboom. And you just make the decision that says, hey, my kids are going to be in Kaboom. And I get it. That means i got to get in my car on Tuesday night. i got to drive them over. i got to come back afterwards. But here's the deal. I want my kids learning more Bible than they're going to get just on a Sunday morning. And so my decision for our family is we're going to be two-hour Christians. And, and my kids, you're going to go. And I think you say to your teenagers, hey, you know what? You're going to be in youth group. And uh, I, I get that sometimes you'll have a kid that says, oh, I don't have any friends. And I, I don't care. You're going to go to youth group because you're going to get age-appropriate Bible and you're going to be around kids that are going through exactly the same thing you're going through and kids that are at your high school, kids that are at your junior high that are trying to live for Jesus too. And you can either go to youth group and enjoy it or you can go to youth group and sit in the back. But if you're, as long as you're in my home, you're going to go to youth group. That's what you're going to do. And we're not going to sign you up for soccer during youth group times. If you have to choose between soccer and youth group, youth group wins every time. That would make you a spiritual leader. Okay? Three. Because, guys, look, look, look. The stupid trophy they give you at the end of soccer, every team got a trophy just for participating. That's not going to take them anywhere in life, but what they learn in youth group is. But here's the other part of this, guys. If you're going to ask your kids to be two-hour Christians and you're going to have to model it, which means you're going to have to make it to the mine, or you're going to have to get to one of our adult groups that's down that hallway. You're, you're going to have to mo- be in a small group. You're going to have to model being a two-hour Christian. But guys, think about this. Think about how def- definitively this was positioning you as the spiritual leader of your home. If you decided your home, we're going to be two-hour Christians. And then uh, the final one is this. Man, I just want to encourage you, and the best way I know how to say it, is to have a date night with your kids. And I'm just going to ask you that once a month, you take one of your kids. Now, if you've got 14 kids, this is going to take you a while. Um, But uh, once a month, you go on a date with one of your kids. And uh, I don't care. Go to Baskin and Robbins. Go to a movie. uh, Go. I don't care what you do. But, men, here's what you're going to do. At some point during that night, you're going to simply ask your child, how are you and God doing? How are you and God doing? And you may get the whole blow off. Oh, we're great. It's good. 
And then, you, you know, you push in and go, well, you know, I was just asking because, you know, a week ago, uh, you were really disrespectful to your mom. And so I was just wondering, I was just wondering how you and God are actually doing right now. Because it's just like checking the oil, man. You go out to your car, you check the oil. If it's a little bit low, you pour a little bit of oil in. When you go out with your kids and you say, hey, how are you and God doing? And if the oil's a little low, you pour a little God in. And you realize that this moment, think about this, this moment when you do that and when your child says, well, you know, God and I are struggling a little bit right now, it sets you up as the pastor of your home. And you now get to minister to your own child. It's a powerful moment. And guys, look how simple this is. If you would simply incorporate those three very you would be the spiritual leader in your home. And your home most likely would be more spiritual, more Christ-centered than the home you grew up in. And so I would just challenge you to do that. Lisa, would you like to add something? Sure. I would say this to the wife, is that if you're asking him to be that spiritual leader in the household, then you need to allow him to do that. Hmm. And there are going to be times when he may choose to make decisions uh, for your family that you do not agree with. But if you're asking him to take that role, then allow him to do that because he's accountable to God. God can spank him a whole lot harder than we ever could. And it's just, it's very important that you just turn that over. And that's where the trust comes in. And um, I think that's huge. I think that's, a, that's an intentional decision that you have to make. And I'm glad you said that, Lisa, because I think this gets so hard for the gals because you're sitting there watching a moment and you know that your family needs spiritual leadership. And so you're really predisposed to do one of two things. One is to begin to nag him into being a spiritual leader. In other words, you're going, hey, how come? And you should. And this is your role. And I'm waiting for you to step up. Or the other is you just take control of it, which you realize men are intuitively lazy. Right? And if you'll take charge of it, he'll let you. And you'll never give it back. So, so let, me just, let me read a passage of Scripture I think maybe it's helpful. It's First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, it simply says this, Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them, look at this, do not believe. So this is helping wives who even have a non-believing husband who's not participating in the home. So that if any of them do not believe, they may be won over without words. Without words. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of their lives. And, and ladies, let me, let me just say this to you. If you begin to express your dissatisfaction, if you begin to push him into this thing... Uh, that he ought to be doing, he may end up resisting you simply because of the principle of the thing. And he may never take this role simply so he can win the argument. It's a horrible place to get to. So I think there's huge wisdom when First Peter says, ladies, don't do that. Don't do that. You can express to him and say, boy, I'd love for you to take spiritually, but then leave it alone. Leave it alone. And let God start to convict his heart about this role. You may have to take some of this responsibility on, ladies. You may be the one that's driving the kids to church. You may be the one who's leading in prayer at the dinner. I'm okay with that. As long as you do that with an open hand, that he always has the ability to step in and begin to do it, okay? And that you're not doing it in a way to shame him. The minute he feels like you're shaming him, he'll check out.
I've I've heard that sometimes submitting is dunking so that God can punch him. Ouch. I've experienced that blow many times. <laughs> it's a total knockout. Yeah, you know what? Like, I think here's what I think women miss so often is that women sometimes, like, guys and ladies, I'm not coming after you. I'm trying to be helpful to you in understanding your man. And if you ever become his Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit can't be the Holy Spirit. Because uh, your voice is louder than the Holy Spirit's voice. You do not want to be God to him. You want to be a wife to him. And let God be the one that brings conviction. There's an amazing movie, guys. There's an amazing movie out right now that I think every one of us ought to go see. It's called The War Room. Yeah. So, so let me, this is a great date night, so you guys can follow up on it. Here's the basic premise of the story. It's a woman who's in a marriage. She's a Christian, but she's very dissatisfied with her husband. She's a realtor. She goes to an older woman who she's going to sell the older woman's house. And in the conversation over coffee, she begins to kind of bag on her husband. To which the older woman, filled with wisdom, turns to her and says, how much are you praying for him? To which she's then taken back and goes, well, yeah, I don't really do that. And she challenges this younger woman that instead of trying to fix her husband, that she would allow God to fix him through prayer. And it is an unbelievably powerful story of the power of a godly woman praying for her husband and the transformation that happens in his life out of it. And guys, I would just encourage you, here's the deal. It's a Christian film, which means right off the bat, it's kind of lifetime quality. You know what I mean? Um, But the story is great. The story is great. And I would encourage you to go see War Room. Yeah. Good movie. Awesome. Well, you guys give Lynn and Lisa a huge round of applause for tackling those questions. Thank you you both so much.